Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. How do we, therefore, then live that life and become more sanctified? I want you to turn with me to the Psalms this morning. This is great. I get to talk about this because... Honestly, I promise you, see when I finish this, you're going to go, let's get through all the Psalms. You will. I get some wonderful gifts recently. My brother Billy gave us a full commentary set uh, on the Psalms by Spurgeon. It's the, the, what's the book called? David, the Psalms of David. It's all about, uh, it's, it's just astounding. And then Rachel, and I think Stacey chipped in with her. Uh, Rachel told me she's still waiting in there giving her the money for it. I, I don't know. I, well, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just telling you what was, what they were. What, I'm just telling you what she posted, right to me. She's just saying I, I go to the books, and Stacey was supposed to half in for me, but I'm still waiting in the money. I mean, we may as well just call it out here. Okay, so just naming shame is the game. Anyway, they got me a wonderful full. A set of John Calvin's commentaries on the Psalms way back. I mean, you, have, you look at these things and they fall apart. Uh, one of them's okay, it's not been read a lot, but the other ones, it looks as if a, a dog's got them. You know, I maybe get them rebinded a bit, I'll just be really gentle with them, but just picking them up and opening them. And these are for, I think, early 18th, 19th century, 1810, something like that. You just think of the fingers that's opened them and read them. and Oh, see the history of old books. It's just, I know, it just, it just rocks my world. Yeah, I love it. My, my bedroom needs to have, my bedroom, my office, my office needs to have like wee diffusers everywhere. Otherwise it would just stink. <laughs> it just smelly old books. Anyway, if we get to get into these Psalms and just into a tiny, tiny bit of the Psalms this morning where we know... The ancient Hebrews, the ancient Hebrew word for the Psalms is, is, is the God-breathed hymn book. Isn't that wonderful? The God-breathed hymn book. The, the, in the Greek, as we know, is Theononostes. No, the God-breathed word. And just like 2 Timothy uh, 3.16 and 17 is, is God-breathed word. And so is then the Psalms, this God-breathed word, the Hebrews. Telahem, Telahem is in the Hebrew and it, the book of Psalms are pronounced in Hebrew. Sefar Telahem, it means the, the, the book of praises. Isn't that, just that in itself is just, I, I just think it excites you. Yeah. And I do believe the Psalms are a vital part for us to learn as a church. Um, I really do. I think more mature believers know the Psalms way better than we do and I think certainly the Reformed Church, many of the, many of the, the older Reformed, more traditional churches will not have a single service where they don't read a Psalm or not sing a Psalm, which I, listen, see, two years ago I would say, come on, but see now I'm like, I like it, I like it, I think it's going to happen, can we? <laughs> I'll need to speak to the elders about that and just but to read a psalm or a part of a psalm during the, the during the worship, I think is a wonderful thing. Uh, and as I've been studying the psalms, it just excites me, and I, I believe they're a vital part for the church to learn. And 
I truly hope to get deeper into them, both privately and, if God permits, as a body as well. Wouldn't it be amazing? I think that would probably, after we finish the Gospel of John, which we'll start next week again, we're up to chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, and we're going to get through it. We're going to get through the Gospel of John. There's some wonderful things coming up, and what we'll do maybe for a couple of weeks is, is we'll go through it and give a kind of overview again of the first 13 chapters, because we'll be now to kilter with it, and then we'll get deeply into the delve right into chapter 13 and I'll probably take about a year or so uh, to get through it maybe longer I don't know and who knows maybe we'd get into the Psalms and that would probably take me to the rest of my life to be honest with you but maybe what we'll do is I don't know it's no priest prayer but this is how we'll maybe we'll maybe we'll do a Wednesday night and we'll get through a Psalm on the Wednesdays or a Sunday night or something I, I don't look I don't know <laughs> the Psalms were wrote over a course of 500 years, I'm sure you're aware of that, or maybe you're not. Maybe you thought it was wrote over a course of a couple of days. 500 years it was wrote over. That tells you that David never wrote them all. It was wrote over a course of 500 years, various authors. David being the most, uh, over half they would say that David would write over at least half. And his name would be used in others as well. Uh, I don't have the time, nor do I have the depth of study. I need to walk us through the whole meaning and purpose of the Psalms. Never mind the content of each one. But suffice to say that these would have been deeply memorised by people. They were uneducated, so they would know these psalms by root. They would know them. You would just need to say the first line. You know, when Jesus says, my God, my God, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everybody that was standing at the cross would go, I know exactly what that whole psalm means. And as you know, as the psalm says, he pierced my hands and my hands are pierced, my... It's astounding. Anyway, I think Matthew Henry gives us a good overview of what really the Psalms are about. And the Psalms are so rich. This is what he says. The Psalms are so rich and so well made. Are these poems that they can never be exhausted and never be worn out bare. The Psalmist experiences are of great use to our direction, caution, and encouragement and telling us as he often does what passed between God and his soul he lets us know what we can expect from God and in turn what he expects and requires from us end quote and that kind of sums it up so the Psalms both give us a deeper insight into who God is how he operates and then in turn what he expects from us as Matthew Henry says of these God-breathed words, they tell us of what we can expect from God and what expectation he has of us. They also will give us great direction as well as correction. Isn't that truly how we walk as believers? It's the correction that leads to direction, almost always. That leads to the narrow path that stops us swaying and wavering and stops us from allowing our hearts to create a gospel that, that suits our flesh or a gospel that's not one at all. And of all the psalms we could use, I, I'm going to just share a bit one, maybe people's favourite psalms. I don't know what your favourite is. Uh, maybe you've not got one. Psalm 37, uh, in the first six verses of Psalm 37 gives us some great insight and instruction that I think will help us and especially in light of the things in the world today and I believe where we are as a church as far as corporately sanctification goes and personally for many of us 
Uh, and I think you'll find these few verses challenging but encouraging. Uh, let's get through some of these verses of Psalm 37. Verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. And here we know these are the words penned by David, either as a song or, or maybe simply penning and pondering over. I think Spurgeon says, um, some say, and I, I, I quite like this, whether there's no evidence for it, that, that David coming to the end of his life, and we know David in writing this, Psalm 37, is very near the end of his life, and he's penning it to his son Solomon and giving him much-needed wisdom before Solomon takes over um, his kingship. And it starts with, do not fret. You could change that word to worry. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious. Often one of the things that keeps our hearts closed I think to the Lord is how long we spend thinking over enemies and how long we spend thinking over evils. And I think many of us could say this year that we've spent way too long thinking over the evils in the world. In the world. I know I have. It was great the couple of days where I was in COVID attack. Just stayed away from it. Just no listening, and I'm not saying that we should always avoid it, but just no hearing anything. And then I met up with some of the guys, and they go, did you hear about so-and-so? I says, I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything. It's messing with my peace. It's a, I'm almost at the state, I don't want to know, I don't want to be silent. I just want to fight when it's right. I don't just want to fight all the time, but I just want to have time that I'm spending with God and, and, and believing that the world's a better place than what it is. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I just want to believe that it's not as bad as what it is at times. I just, can you just let me be with the Lord? Stop fretting. Well, often, it's hard for us as, as believers is how we seem to think that people are getting away with it. And that's true. How are they getting away with that? Don't you ever think that? How are they getting away with that? Why are they not being found out yet? No, I, I, I used to say this. When is the liar's pants going to go on fire? <laughs> so you used to think. Often we lose our peace by overburdening our hearts with grief towards the injustice we see, the evil we see, the never-ending prosperity at times and those who see me go unpunished for their wickedness. It's truly something that we as believers need to learn to carry better. Now, this does not mean that we morph into convenient, passive ignorance. Because then, fret stops existing at all. The psalmist says, don't fret, insinuating that we already do. The, the word in Hebrew is hurrah. And it means don't let it make you loose. Don't, don't let it, don't let it burn you up. But it's going to exist. It's not the same as avoid at all costs and present it doesn't even happen. The point is, is that we do not become unrighteous 
you know. And it, it's, it's better to become, it, sanctification is, is a much better process when we know there's a problem and we need to learn to live with it than it is that we just live in cuckoo land and we pretend it doesn't exist. Often that's what happens when we don't want to face pain or, 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 or confrontation or, or, or dependency issues or shame. We just, we'll just, we'll la, 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 we'll just pretend it doesn't exist. That's not what the psalmist is saying. David had many, many opportunities to become unrighteous. I think when he was with Saul and Saul was hunting him down, yet David would not lift his hand to him. I'm sure he thought it. <laughs> but he knew it was in God's time. John Calvin writes, On one hand, although the people of God are afflicted for a time, yet the issue of their affliction are such that they should be content with their lot. Now, all this depends on the providence of God, for unless we are persuaded that the world is governed by him in righteousness and truth, we will soon stagger at length and fall, end quote. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that just sum up what the issue is when we are bitter or angry or jealous or compare or question people's possessions or their ways? Often the heart starts to envy and desire what they have. So-called believers jealous of what their worldly friends have. There's a little few things more immature in a believer than being envious of what a non-believer has as far as worldly possessions go. And I hear a believer ranting about what non-believers are pursuing. It reminds me of this verse. They fret and envy over other people's worldly things. You know, if you're sitting here today or listening and you're fretting and worrying and getting annoyed over a worldly person who's no saved and what they're pursuing, take heed. Where are you with the Lord? That you're actually concerned about what they're pursuing and you're actually jealous that they've got a nicer car or kitchen or bathroom or shoes. Who cares? But yet we do I see it with believers. You're like, why do you care what they've got when we've got something so much better? Who cares that the neighbour's getting a new extension? Who cares? I care. I care. Do you? Problem. Problem. I care and I'm going to let you know I care. I care. I don't care and please don't let me know. There's a minute I hear that I go like that. Really? 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 Really, that's where, that's, where we're at. that's where we're at with the Lord still. Really? They fret and envy over others' worldly things and by so doing, start to forget the riches in Christ himself. That we should be considering above everything else those gifts that we have in Christ of eternal life. I can't remember who it was I read saying it or heard saying it, but it was very recently. It could have been as close as yesterday. That's where my mind's at at times. And he says this. It was John Coulson. John Coulson said this. I don't know if you know John Coulson. Anyway, 
Like, he doesn't matter. You don't know him. He stays in North Motherwell. Right, he did say he's a preacher. <laughs> he's an American preacher. <laughs> he says this. He says, this is the worst life for a believer that you can ever get. <laughs> but today is closer than ever to be being your best life. How true is that? Right at this moment in time for a believer, you are closer now than ever to your best life. Don't listen to me, Joel Osteen says. It's not your best life now. Seriously, this cannot be your best life now in this earth. I'll give it up. I might, I might get unsaved if this is my best life now. You're closer now. Really, you're closer now at this moment to your best life. But this isn't your best life. This is, this is the world's best life. This is your worst possible scenario. I mean, I was staggering about in our minds, at times ignoring the sovereign God, wondering and competing with what the world's got. Surely then his sovereignty and his providence is also what he's doing in us as well when we see what others have. Is the psalmist not also saying that who are we to think that God will not deal with them? Like grass, it dies when you leave it. The scripture says, it just, you just leave it alone, weeds grow over it, it simply doesn't stop until it kills itself. More to the point, he's not also, is he not also dealing with us? If we see God is absent in these things, is it no more the case that we are absent from him? Don't you think? See, when we look and we look at what the government and we look at what things are doing and we think God's absent, is it know that we're absent from him in those times? Really? Oh God, when are you going to deal with her? Dealing with you, son. <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? And we don't see God's presence and providence in things because we've left. We've stepped away. We've shut them out. We start to covet the riches or the possessions or carnal things. Yet how often do we once again sense almost instantly the presence of God when we once again put him back in the throne of your hearts? You put him back in charge of your hearts and you all of a sudden, he's there. Where has he went? Nowhere. Realise it. He was not at any given point, not over all things. But we just took our eyes off him. And like Peter looked at the crashing waves. We just took our eyes off the Lord and we start to look at the crashing waves and what the world's doing and not realising that he's even over them and calms the storm. How sad is it that was believers that we would be angry and bitter and jealous towards what the world has. Really? Sometimes what even happens is, is that we, we end up belittling name for desiring it. When the truth is, it's, we're covering it. Why do we care what the world's pursuing? And get so annoyed at it? What do you expect? Verse 3 and 4. And the psalm's just great. Can you, I could see that, they two verses. I could spend about a month in them alone. 
Verse 3 and 4, trust in the Lord and do good. Is the title up? Maybe better put that up, eh? Delight in the Lord. How you attain the desires of your heart. That's how you, how, how do we attain the desires of your heart? We delight in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That's often a question that we, people ask and it's asked in a kind of different kind of way as they're young in their faith. You're like, what's the desires in my heart? What's God's will? What's, what's God's plans for my life? See, if you simply put this verse in layman's terms, just simple, it's simply put it, do the right thing, do the true thing, be integrous, be courageous with your convictions and leave the result to the Lord. That's it. That's, that is it in a nutshell. When we are obedient, we put our trust in him. We show our gratitude to the Lord by being obedient to him. Children, it's some, some simple illustration. Children who rebel are children who are lost their sense of gratitude. What do we often see in kids? Selfishness. Because their disobedience is proof of the lack of gratitude. You hear it said a lot, how ungrateful are you? You're so ungrateful. We could all say that. Listen, listen. If you've got a kid that's got a pulse, you've said that. Okay, don't, honestly, don't, don't pretend you've no. If you've got a kid that's got a pulse, you have said that. So selfish. So ungrateful. It's just disobedience. Obedience to the word, therefore, is the key to true blessing. Obedience to the word is the key to true blessing. Because God's promises and blessings are never out with our obedience. They're not out with our obedience. You go to a charismatic church and they want all oh, this riches and all these blessings, but they don't want to be obedient to the word. They want to be obedient to their word. No, they want to make God obedient to their word is a better way of putting it. That's, 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 that's a kind of charismatic thing. Name it and claim it. Just name it and claim it. You know, that's constant, isn't it? I still see it. I kind of, they still come up in my posts and I'm just like, oh, I need no fret. <laughs> I'm preaching it myself here. It's just terrible when you start reading a scripture and then you get convicted while you're preaching. You see these posts coming up in it? This is your year. What are you doing? Is it? Oh. You said that in March. <laughs> you said that in March. Game's a bogey. Game's a bogey. <laughs> Game's a bogey. You tell me in March I was gone somewhere. I've not been out the house. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You tell me. You tell me this was happening, it's not happened. <laughs> Trust in the Lord, do good. Show me a believer who feels overlooked, hard done to. And I'll show you one who has become 
disobedient to the word. Where do you hear what Spurgeon says? This is, honestly, this is what he says. It just, there's hundreds you can say, because he's so humorous, right? He says, <laughs> I don't know, I'd, I never met Spurgeon. But see, when you read them, you, you almost, you, because he's got a sense of humour. I heard somebody saying, I think it was Steve Lawson that was talking about Spurgeon, and he was saying, oh no, it wasn't him, it was Michael Reeves was given a brilliant biography he, he, he Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And somebody says, do you only think he's a bit humorous? He, 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 he just uses a wee bit too much humour. And Spurgeon says, you want to see the things that I missed out? This is what he says on the Hebrews in the wilderness as regards to this verse. Thou shalt not wander about murmuring, <laughs> but abide in the promised land and be content. <laughs> Basically, stop walking about moaning. You just hear him saying that, didn't he? Thou shalt not wander about murmuring under your breath, but you're not happy about. <laughs> oh, you imagine him speaking like that to 10,000 people. Thou shalt not wander about murmuring, but abide in the promised land and be content. In truth they shall feed and feed on truth, end quote. That's what it means to trust and do good. It means to feed on the truth and be content with it. What does it mean to do good? Get a hamper for somebody? No. Okay, that's nice. Okay, that's, that's, that's modern Christianity. We're being good, we're getting a wee hamper. For the wee woman round the corner. That's nice. Okay. But that's no doing good. You see how the gospel's been hijacked with that? Do good. Get the wee woman next door to your hamper. I don't know why I said hamper. I'm so old-fashioned, isn't I? Trust. That's what it means to trust. Do good. Feed in the truth and be content with it. Doing good today in Christianity is getting literally do with truth. Probably if you fast forward the wilderness to the day it would be running about the wilderness getting somebody a fist pump high five. Brother, wearing a mask, something that would be, that would be doing good today. Can somebody a wee bit of goodies? Doing good. Maybe even going to church, that's good. What are you doing good? I'm going to church. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. The devil shows up here all the time, too. <laughs> what will that truth that feeds our soul do? That's what doing good. What is doing good? Doing good. Sit under the word. A deity of the truth. It will feed our souls. And it will lead us to truly being complete in our desires. It's like this. The more obedient, the more truth. The more truth, the more trust. The more trust, the more love we see that God has for us. You see that? The more obedient, the more truth. The more truth, the more trust. The more trust, the more we see the love that God has for us and the more we see that, that the love that God has for us, the more we want to please him. And when we live to please him, we find we're truly living 
from the desires of our heart. It's that simple. Are you wondering what the desires of your heart is? It's that. Okay, we need to close again and start to run out of time to fully expound these verses. Verse 5 and 6. Commit your ways to the Lord. Everybody knows when I say that, there's about another 20 minutes, doesn't it? I don't even know why I say it. Uh, we need to close here. He's not even getting close to saying we need to get close here. That was a nonchalant we need to close here. <laughs> Verse 5 and 6. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. We could simply put it and I think Apostle Peter as we mentioned there about the water, and I think as I read this verse in the Psalms, it makes me think the parallels to Peter's life and then our lives that parallels and so similar. I think we can be so encouraged. I always believed that over the years that that Peter was the, my real hero in the faith, but I would say it's probably Apostle Paul, but I probably identify with Peter more than Paul, to be honest with you. Identify with Saul before he was Paul. But identify with Peter even when he was Peter, <laughs> if that makes sense. Because he just was, if there any a man who knows what it's like to be obedient and then disobedient, a man who fretted, you know, what are you worrying, Peter? All this stuff, pulling, taking Jesus aside to rebuke him sternly. Don't you love that? Gone fishing when he was, should have been called to fish for men. But as you get to the end of Peter's life, you see that they, these verses, this, he lived them. He just lived these verses. They, he truly delighted in the Lord and his heart's desire was to please him. Who knew more than about threatening? Who knew more about disobedience than Peter? Who knew more about lacking self-control than Peter? But also who became obedient through knowing the love of Christ. And it's that, as we become obedient, we trust. And that trust leads to a deeper love and that love leads to his knowing our heart, knowing the heart of God and we just want to please him. And as you know, Peter's life, as he get to the, when he was on the beach, he just seen the love of God and he just thought, I just want to live for you now. And he did. And here Peter writing nearly at the end of his life here, it's maybe months to live. And the words are really truly the outwork in his life. And I think you'll get great comfort and hopefully the words that will also, that we live by. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's really just a psalm, isn't it? Casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. I think our prayer and our desire should be that through our trust and obedience and through his love for us that we then become that light of righteousness that shines in the world. How do we evangelise the day? Yeah, we preach, they share the gospel. But the light's got to be in us. We are not the light. We came to testify of the light as we know in the Gospel of John. And in him was the light of men. And how Jesus just shines and as we get saved, he just shines that light into your life. And boom. You thought you knew everything until you met Jesus and you realise you knew nothing. 
And you think you're dead smart. It's like Michael Gunger. He thinks he's really smart, but he's totally in the dark. Like Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he thought he was dead smart. But Stephen schooled him, who was uneducated, but he had delight of the Lord. Saul, who became Paul, had teachings for the greatest teachers in the world and the greatest scholars in the world. Yet he didn't have the light. And therefore, it didn't have any real penetration into the world or into people's lives. We are no the light, but we come to testify of the light. How wonderful are John's words and in him was the light of men. And that would be our prayer as we close that the world through our obedience and trust and submission would see the light of the Lord in us. For what purpose? That he would be glorified. That he would be glorified. That his name would be above all other names. So let's delight ourselves in the Lord and he will truly give us the desires of your heart and the true desires of your heart is to glorify him above everything else. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we close. So who would love to get through all the Psalms now? Be amazing, wouldn't it? Maybe we'll do something, I think, just start and get through maybe a Psalm and Aye, they would be here forever. 150 psalms, three verses a week. I'd need to be about 390 before we finish them. They'd maybe need to do it in a day, a psalm in a day. 150. That was six verses. You go to Psalm 119, you're in trouble. <laughs> There's nothing new, like McCleave always said, there's nothing new under the sun, isn't it? You know, there are these Psalms and it's so true, isn't it? They're, they're, as, they're as relevant the day as they were all the years before. He's speaking to your lives and their hearts. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.